Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, I'm Paul Edwards and welcome to Tuesday Topics. Tonight we get to talk about voting but perhaps you'll be happy to know we're not going to talk about voting in states or in the general election, but instead we're gonna talk about voting in ACB. And we're going to try to, uh, as the program goes through, paint a picture for you of the history of democracy in ACB uh, because we think that it's important that we understand where we've come from, where we are, and where we can potentially go. Before we're through, we'll also hear from special interest affiliates who actually tried some forms of remote voting. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of those methods, if there is any ugly. And we will also explore together um, uh, where, where we think the future of remote voting and ACB may or may not be, and also what some of the pros and cons are. And of course, before we're done, all of you will have an opportunity to tell us what you think in terms of ACB voting. So let's go back right to the beginning. When ACB was formed, um, it, it was created really as a response to what those who formed the ACB perceived as undemocratic uh, in the NFB. Essentially, they felt that their rights, both as state affiliates and as individuals, were being seriously disrespected by the leadership of NFB. And so as a result, they went away and created a constitution that gave lots of power both to affiliates and to individuals. And Brian, maybe I can start with you. We'll introduce our panelists as we get there. But the first is Brian Charlson, who is a longtime leader of ACB. And, and Brian, talk about the two ways of voting that ACB started with. Well, we began with, and, and to this day, it's still very similar to that, but it's not this, exactly the same. We had two types of vote. We had the individual vote where individuals attending a conference each had their own vote, which they could do, dispose of, if you will, any way they would like to. They had to be there. They couldn't give it away by proxy or anything along those lines, but they as an individual could vote. In addition, each affiliate could appoint a representative who could cast a set of votes based on the size of their affiliate. And that way it was believed it would give an opportunity for those who could not attend to nonetheless have their point of view represented by their representative at the convention. Those two types of votes were combined and turned into the final vote. Uh, it's interesting that over the years, uh, according to those who do the tallying, not according to any official report ever published by ACB in any fashion that I've been able to locate anyway, that 
both of those two votes reflect one another pretty closely. Uh, I can't say that no election would ever be different if it were only the standing vote of those present uh, or only the roll call vote of the affiliates, but it's awfully close to being the same outcome one way or the other. My information says there have actually only been two times when, when the results of the two votes were different. Again, um, that, that may very, be, very well be true. I know that when you stop to think how many elections we're talking about between today and our founding, that's a lot of elections. So the percentage that things were different would be less than 1%. Right. Uh, so when so, we talk about you know, yeah. outcome as opposed to method of these two, they're very, very similar in terms of outcome. And that was essentially the way things stayed for 20 years or so. And then something happened that kind of changed the balance of power within ACB. And that was the rise of special interest affiliates. And these really um, began to be uh, a major factor, I think, in the late 70s and early 80s. And, and how do you think that that impacted things, Mr. Bryan? Well, the, the number one way that it impacted things, at least, and, and again, this is one of those things that's opinion, not fact, but opinion, is that I could be a member of my state affiliate and a member of any and all ACP affiliates that I'd otherwise be qualified to join. What would that mean? It would mean that the affiliates that I joined, special interest affiliates, would be able to count me a second, third, fourth, fifth time in determining the quantity of votes that that special interest affiliates delegate could cast. That would, that therefore watered down to what degree we don't know, but watered down the one man, one vote, pardon me, one person, one vote concept of elections. Yep. So it, it, it made for some interesting times and I don't think it would be inaccurate to say, and, and, and Jeff, perhaps, I, 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 when did you start coming to conventions? This is Jeff Tom. Oh, in the mid-80s, I believe, actually, 85, yep. 86. So it, do you think that in general, um, that in general, the special interest affiliates um, were, were regarded as very democratic as they cast their votes in the beginning? Uh, it, it, it's <laughs> a hazy recollection, but I would suspect that early on, I think it was the perception that many special interest affiliates cast large majorities of votes for one person and very few for another, let's say. And I think that has changed somewhat. Now you see a lot of splitting of votes all right. different ways. But I think early on, they, they were a, probably a little bigger force than they are now in terms of the uh, impact on the outcome that they might have had. 
Now, there were state affiliates who cast their votes and proudly announced they were doing so under the unit rule, where however their delegation was polled and determined was the victor, all of the votes from that affiliate would go to the winning candidate within their affiliate. And I think that that carried forward into special interest affiliates early on. Uh, it hasn't become a common practice among state affiliates, and it isn't a common practice among special interest affiliates any longer. The other thing that impacted this, of course, is when voting happens later and later during the convention, whether that's voting on candidates or alterations to the Constitution or resolutions, you have fewer and fewer people to poll. And that impacts things rather dramatically uh, toward the end of those roll call votes. And I'd and also probably suggest gives that more power to this to the to the affiliate vote, at least potentially. Well, yes and no. It just means that. Um, so let's let's stop and visit this whole two person scenario where I'm a state affiliate representative. There on my own behalf, uh, there is a member of my state delegation. I'm also the delegate for a special interest affiliate. Where do I sit in the room? How can people get to me to express their feelings about an upcoming vote? So during roll call, you may hear during the early elections, uh, we will be sitting with our delegation. Uh, right. And that affects also the ability of that special interest affiliate to be located in order for a special affiliate member to let them know how they feel on a given topic. Again, this becomes more and more an issue as the convention progresses and as the number of people present uh, to make that quorum, uh, it just diminishes. Now, just to, to, to make ahead, one Jeff. other small yeah. comment about that, as the use of cell phones has proliferated, however, I am oh, noticing yes. <laughs> more and more and more people calling in from the hinterlands from, who did not go to the convention, uh, and even some who are there, but in a different part of the room, and letting you know, as a delegate, who they want to vote for, who they intend to vote for. Exactly. And in my affiliate here in Massachusetts, the Bay State Council of the Blind, we have determined that, at least at present, you physically need to be present to be considered in part of the process. Right. That is not written in our constitution. It is a practice rather th and policy rather than something we're mandated to do. But it is one of the common, one of the modern, if you will, uh, alterations to this whole process of, of if you will, um, checking out who's going to cast a vote which direction remotely, at least in terms of the delegate count. So a third member of our panel is Penny Reader, and she'll be talking to us about what dog guide users do. But Penny, do you have an, anything that, that you remember about your early conventions? Yeah, I didn't come until, um, I think my first convention was 98. Um, mm -hmm. My memories really re are pretty close to Jeff's memories. Although I think that texting and cell phones has, has made a significant difference. 
um, especially for GDY, because we hardly ever sit with our group. We usually sit with our states. And so we make it well known who our delegate is, and we encourage people to text us and call us. So now we come to the early 2000s. Um, I think that it would be accurate to say that most of us who were members of ACB before this period um, saw most elections as being a choice between individuals. And while there certainly was support built for individuals, partly through caucuses and, and partly just because the person was a nice, a nice guy, and, and certainly there was sometimes when, when votes went against an individual because of a position that person had taken, um, you know, and, and we, we certainly had some interesting things. I mean, I ended up as first vice president in an absolutely unlikely way. And it was my first time on the board. And I ended up because Durward McDaniel had promised not to run for first vice president because he was getting older and folks felt like he uh, was no longer going to be able easily and effectively to operate as the potential president of ACB. And so they, they pulled together this huge coalition of people to run. Um, this was an MJ Schmidt thing. And she persuaded me to be one of the five people who ran. And lo and behold, um, not only did Durward lose, but I won as, as really kind of a dark horse. And, and I think I won because of doing resolutions and because of some other things. But, but clearly, in terms of a person with experience, suddenly coming in as first vice president in ACB is not the way one normally joins the board. But, I, but again, that's an indication that, that people were, for the most part, I think, voting for individuals. Would you agree with that, Brian? I think so. Uh, again, yeah. campaigning was changed in a couple of different eras, not the least of which was the last two. Um, one was the year that a gentleman from California, Bob Acosta, ran for the board. Yep. And he literally prepped enough that he had a campaign strategy with people he um, appointed to represent him when he couldn't be everywhere at the same time. Right. And it was a, a truly carefully coordinated campaign. That's the first time in the, well, now 41 years that I've attended ACB conventions that that was ever seen. The, and, and it, but most it, of the time, it yeah. wasn't that way. Right. It truly was not that way. And I think probably when Bob did it, we should have realized that maybe we were arriving at a new era because suddenly in the early 2000s, um, Chris Gray, put together a campaign where, um, where he had campaign bosses, where, where, where he had reached out to affiliates and made promises in exchange for votes, and where a whole range of things that had happened, which fundamentally changed, in my view, um, the way that that, that, that election worked out. Um, 
and there were there were all kinds of there were all kinds of of efforts made to sway the way voting went some done out in the open and some done very much in the background and it was all right at the end of my presidency in fact it was the election that was going to choose my successor um, where all of this happened <clears throat> and i think that that was that was the first time that instead of being instead of being an election that was essentially an election for people it was an election run by one party if you like and then the rest of us on the other side and and i think all of us who 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 were on the other side really didn't get it and we really didn't understand what was going on at least i certainly didn't um so um in that, terms that, of full disclosure i should indicate that i was the losing candidate in that election and right. i certainly did not put on a campaign that involved team captains and contacting affiliates in advance of the convention and working out um, what their leadership was going to, how their leadership's affiliate might benefit from one candidate's election versus another. Right. Well, when what they, when we say, were you going to get in, yeah. in, in the new administration if you voted the right way? Uh, yes, that, that is the primary thing. I got to be careful how we describe what the prid, quid pro quo I always have to stop before saying that, what the prid pro quo was, because it varied from place to place. Uh, I don't think anybody who uh, were actively involved in trying to elect me as president at the time ever did a quid pro quo. I certainly know that I did not. But, and I did not. But I did hear of many such things right. from people following the election that they did take place. Again, question would be, is that in fact something that um, is, you know, we're naive about? Yes. Or is that in fact something that we would say kind of uh, uh, darkened the waters of the electoral process for ACB? I don't think, I don't think there was anything that was done that could be shown to be covertly illegal. Um, no, but I, I don't think but, at all, and I'm not suggesting yeah, that. It's just right. a, a radically different style than had existed up to that point. Right. And, and, and I think it's something that ACB eventually came to reject as, as an approach. You know, one of the things that we saw um, a, couple of, a, a couple of terms later was an effort to impeach the person who won that election. Um, <laughs> And, and it was essentially based on um, the folks who didn't play during that election. Um, so there was another interesting issue that surrounded ACB voting and, and we're, we're almost going to get to the stage where we're gonna talk to Jeff about the voters task force. Um, but the, the interesting issue was that in the standing vote, if you wanted your vote to be counted, you had to stand up and the people who were counting the votes could see. Um, and there were others who could see and there are others who 
could and would tell others how you <laughs> voted. So essentially, there was nothing resembling a, a secret ballot. Penny, when, when you worked for ACB, did, did you perceive yourself um, limited in the way that you could vote in terms of a standing vote? That would be an understatement. It was very tense, and uh, and I voted anyway, but I knew that people were aware, and I knew that reports were going back and forth. Uh, yeah, and that's why things changed. I mean, I think it was really essentially the ACB staff, who were also members of the organization, who insisted that things change uh, in the way that Jeff is going to describe. Mm -hmm. So, Mr. Jeff, suddenly we created a voter task force and we've described where we were where did we go okay so during the few years immediately before the task force there were resolutions expressing concerns and there were uh, just a, a foment of serious concern expressed um, primarily on the issue of the absence of a secret ballot, which many state affiliates already had, and also on the issue of the ability to vote remotely. And so when Mitch Pomerantz took over as president, he uh, created a voters task force that included a number of us. I was the chair and included other people like Patrick Sheehan and Ray Campbell and others. And um, we were tasked with taking on these two issues of absentee balloting and remote voting. At the time, um, Mitch was not at all an advocate for remote voting, but he felt that, you know, due to the fact that there were expressed, um, you know, concern in these areas that the task force should uh, look at both issues. However, we saw, you know, uh, uh, only a very small outpouring on the issue of remote voting. So we soon realized that it would be easier and, and more worthwhile to take on the issue of absentee balloting first. So as things happen in ACB, it took a while, but we ultimately... Um, I don't know how many years it's been, five or six years ago, I guess, um, be, began um, voting um, through, and I don't mean absentee, I'm sorry, I used the word absentee. We, we, vote, we finally began voting through a secret ballot um, system, which we have today. And uh, although uh, initially there was a lot of concern expressed by folks and they're like, well, how will we know how to vote with our delegate vote and how do we know it'll be truly secret and, and all of this. Um, the system by and large uh, with, with the use of the secret ballot has seemed to work well. And the vast majority, I think of those in ACB are in agreement that it was a step forward. Um, it does create issues for delegates who do different things in different delegations to determine how to vote. I guess we can talk about that at some point. You will. But but yeah. I think as a as a step forward, I I would say ninety percent of the people in ACB believe it 
that it was a step forward to institute the absentee, I mean, the absentee, the um, secret ballot. I, I think probably 99%, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard much objection. Now, one of the factors that led to the belief on the part of ACB that that the secret ballot wasn't going far enough was that there were a number of affiliates who were beginning to operate with remote voting. And the first affiliate to go in that direction was GDUI. Penny, tell us about how that started and how it works now. Well, I'll tell you that it started with Sheila Styron, who was not always able to afford to come to convention. And she was really angry that if she couldn't afford to come to convention, she didn't have a voice in voting on uh, who would win a seat to the board or who would win the presidency or whatever. And so she began talking about that with her affiliate. She happened to be the president of GDY at the time. And I don't know if it was in 2011 that we first, that we first did it or if it was in 2011 that we first decided to um, figure out a way to vote remotely. But that is what we do. We feel that one that the one vote, one person dictum should apply to us, and it has. And every member of GDY can vote remotely. Our elections are held the last week in May ordinarily, usually from the uh, last Saturday in May uh, to the, uh, at like 12.01, midnight to one to uh, the last, to the first Sunday. Can vote over a whole week. They can vote by phone and they can also vote by computer and voting is totally accessible. Um, we choose candidates in GDY with a nominating committee and we hold two candidates forums so that people can meet our candidates and ask whatever questions they want. Um, Ordinarily, candidates do not campaign uh, during the run-up to uh, the election, but there were a couple of years when that was the case. Um, after we had been voting for a couple of years, I think in 2014 maybe, um, was the year that someone, um, well, we, we were just handling it ourselves. We, we hired someone to uh, count the votes uh, and we figured out the phone number and the, uh, the website and people did it. Uh, but then that year, I think it was 2014, someone, a member of ACB who was not even a member of GDY, uh, broke into our system and began telling people who was voting how. Um, so we couldn't have that. And so the year after that, we hired a company and we still use that company. They're called Vote Now and they manage our elections. They help us create the ballot. They put it on the website. They um, put it on the phone system. Um, they have a fabulous staff. And for the whole week of election, anybody who has any trouble getting in via phone or website, they will call and help them through it. And it's totally secure. Uh, then they are the uh, people who tell us who won the elections. And then we tell everybody in GDY. Um, we are very happy with the system, but one of the things we gave up was the affiliate vote. We do have a business meeting at conventions sometimes, but the only thing that can be discussed at that meeting are ACB issues. 
So if there's a constitutional amendment or a resolution that has come up for, it's going to come up for a vote during the ACB convention, we hold a caucus. And at that point, affiliates can express their affiliate uh, desires. Uh, I think GDY has about 12 affiliates. Um, but ordinarily, all of our business is conducted via our board meetings, which happen every other month. Every member is welcome at our board meetings and every member can speak on any issue that comes up. So that's how we conduct business and there's no more affiliate vote. Um, and like I said, we think that's a, this is a good system. We like the one person, one vote system. I think the affiliate vote is kind of analogous to the electoral college and I think it's outlived its usefulness. But that's my opinion and not everyone's. Hey, hey, Penny, Rick Moore, and quick question. Uh, which, how many, what's your percentage of people in the affiliate or in GDUI participate in the vote? It's huge. This year it was 44%. It's excellent. And also, let me just, one more reason that we did it was because it was, it's so expensive to come to convention. And also now so many of us are in so many affiliates that we couldn't possibly attend a business meeting. I can't go to Lewis business meeting, BRL's business meeting, and GDY's business meeting at the same time. So obviously that's going to exclude me from my privilege to vote. Um, so um, anyway, it's worked out well for us. Uh, the majority of our members are very happy with it. And 44% is pretty phenomenal in terms of participation. Now, Penny, I've got a couple of questions, if I may. One is when you, I mean, no matter what system you pick for virtually anything, if there are two choices, some, they're going to have pluses and minuses to each choice. Of course. So one of the ones that I'm curious how you've dealt with is almost always in the elections I've participated in, and I am a member of GDUI and cast my vote, but this doesn't apply to that, this is outside of that experience, is that two or more people run for president. One gets elected, the others do not. They then have the option of running from the floor for a vice presidency. So you don't lose out on the skills and ability of that person. You're correct, or those that's persons. true. And that is you had to we've give given up, up that, right? Yes, we've given that up. Uh, obviously, we incur yes, we've given it up. Obviously, we encourage people who don't win to run again the next year. And sometimes there is a vacancy on the board, which the president can fill. And when I was, was president, I tried to fill those vacancies with people who had run for a position. But that's not, you know, that's not a, a rule or a, a constitutional mandate. It's just the way I did it. So you're right. I mean, that is something we, we gave up. There's no running from the floor. So let's look at the elephant in the room. First, how many members do G does GDUI have? Um, we have more than, we've closed between four and 500. I don't know the exact number, um, but cool. it's expensive. Is this the elephant? The elephant is that it's expensive. We so pay the, tell, we, tell us about the cost. We pay the company, we pay vote now. They charge us according to the number of eligible voters we have. So we have like 430 or something and we pay $5 for each eligible member who can vote. And then we really hope that everybody who can vote will do it because we paid $5 for them to have that privilege. And, uh, and we did have to raise our dues recently, a couple years ago, in order to continue paying the company. 
but mm -hmm. um, we get this huge percentage. And back when we were voting at convention, uh, one year we had to lower our quorum because we just didn't have enough people in attendance at a GDY board meeting. And now we, we don't have any trouble meeting the 15% quorum that our constitution requires. And that's one more thing I forgot to tell you. And that's that we did have to change our constitution, but we are in compliance with the DC code, which is where we're incorporated. Very good. So an, another affiliate um, that votes remotely is BPI, Blind Pride International. And Leah Gardner's with us. Leah, can you tell us about your system and how it works? Hey, Paul. Well, I believe that our remote voting system has been in place, I want to say since 2012 or 2013. Um, at one of the conventions, it was decided that since there were a lot of BPI members that just could not attend our annual business meeting, uh, we wanted to give them a say in um, the elections process, uh, as well as people that were actually present. So uh, I'll be honest, I was not involved in setting up the remote ballots in the early days, but a number of different systems were used um, at that point. And I think there have been some different rules over the years. However, the um, various ballot setups that we used electronically, those votes had to come in prior to the start of the live business meeting. So if the business meeting started at five, those votes had to come in um, at five o'clock because we did not want electronic voting proceeding at the same time as we were holding live voting on the floor. Um, and then what we would do is we would tally the um, votes from people that were present with the electronic votes that we um, had come in. The one big problem that we've always had is that because the ballots were set prior to the business meeting, anyone who was voting electronically could not vote for anybody that ran from the floor. And or, or, but you, you also allowed folks to run for a second office if they didn't win the first one, right? From the we floor? We did. Well, if somebody, yes, if they were nominated from the floor, yes. So yeah. the, the thing is the folks that were voting electronically from home, they, they could not participate in that part of the process. The, mm -hmm. if we, if, when we ran somebody from the floor, it you know, was only the folks that were actually in the room at the time. Um, that could participate in that part. Um, this year gave us quite a challenge because we had COVID to deal with. And we did have a virtual um, business meeting, but we also used Google Forms this year for the first time to uh, create our electronic ballots. And we went by the same rules. We had those votes come in you know, prior to the meeting um, and it went very well. We actually had a lot of people, um, use our Google forms and, uh, we had probably and each member was entitled to vote one assumes. Yes. But we made it and... very clear that you could not, you couldn't vote through the uh, Google forms process and then come to the business meeting and, and show up. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You couldn't do that. And the cool thing with Google forms is that if 
somebody tries to vote twice from the same email address, uh, they'll get an error message. So well, how do you manage the security of, of the uh, electronic vote? You know, I, I mean, basically when, when somebody votes, it's tied to their email address. So let's say, you know, my, my email, I get, I get a ballot from Google Forms. I submit it. The person who is actually um, going to tally the ballots gets that information on a spreadsheet. Is so that a member shows, or a non-member? Uh, in this case, it was that we have an elections committee. So okay. I was one of the members on the elections committee this year. It actually went to me. Um, so I could see the emails of who voted and I could tally the votes beforehand. Now I could also, you know, if someone tried to vote twice, they just couldn't do it. Um, they would, they would get an error message. And actually one of our um, election chair members and I kind of tried to break the system <laughs> by, you know, pretending to vote on different computers and see if it would work. Uh -huh. And we were thwarted every time. But there's no so, anonymity to the vote. I mean, you, you knew who voted how. I did. You could do it. Um, you could do it that way. You could check a box to, to have the votes be anonymous. But, I mean, this was our first time sure. doing this completely virtually. And quite frankly, I wanted to make sure that um, everything was working properly and I could attribute votes to each email address so that if... And and if the if the email address that was voting wasn't on your list, that person couldn't vote either. Uh, the way that I did it is each person got an inv each person got a ballot. So if somebody we went through every email address that we had on our membership rolls. So the only people that actually got ballots were people that had their um, email address registered with us we i sent probably we have about 110 members and so that means in terms of people have email addresses i think i sent out about 105 or so invitations so in your system if you didn't if you didn't have a computer um you were essentially disenfranchised this year this year i don't truly know how we're gonna um i don't know how we're gonna address that to be honest with you in the future we don't have i mean most of our members do have um right working email addresses i did not we didn't hear any complaints with anybody now keep in mind if somebody did not have a uh computer they could join us um they could join us on the zoom call for the, gotcha. the virtual yep. convention because you right. can dial and, in right. so that was also a possibility I'm not quite sure. Um, and, and Google I'm, Forms go works on smartphones as well, Leah? You can fill out, you need to create the form on a computer, but you can fill out the form on a smartphone. Very good. Uh, any other questions from the panelists for Leah? How did you tally the uh, Zoom call votes? So what I did was before we opened the voting, I had tallied the um, electronic votes that we had. So what I did was I added our votes, you know, that we got from the, the raised hands that we got in the Zoom call. Oh, I added hands. those. Oh, okay. 
Okay, yeah, I you. added those. You know, I would say the one deficit that really bothers me is the, we had a couple candidates actually run from the floor. And um, unfortunately, people that electronically vote can't participate in that. Um, I, I wish there was some way to do that because we had one position where we had a, couple, a number of people run and uh, they were a little bit at a disadvantage because the electronic votes had already come in. Right. So but overall, overall, you felt you felt pretty, pretty comfortable with the system, Leah, or, or the organization did, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I was the one that suggested um, using Google Forms because it's very easy in terms of <clears throat> it's, it's easy for people to fill out um, as easy as you can as you can possibly get in terms of being able to read your choices and mark them off. And it's pretty versatile um, in terms of how you can set up uh, the ballot. So I felt really good about it. I think that people participating felt pretty positive about it. Um, I mean, it was, it was a lot of work sending out. We had, I had to go through everybody's name on our membership spreadsheet, pull out emails, and copy them all in so I could send out a few bulk um, you know, invitations. It was a lot of work. However, you know, um, I'm running for vice president next year, so I can't be part of the elections committee. But if they want to go with forms again, you know, we'll have to add whatever new members we get their email addresses in there. But it's all it's all good. It's all set to go now. Um, the okay. initial work has been done. Excellent. So, Brian here, Penny, one other question. Well. Oh, go ahead, Brian. Okay. Um, I am interested in the raised hand part of what you were describing. So uh, an election comes up, mm -hmm. there's two candidates for the position. Uh, you close the electronic vote before you open the live vote, if you will. And the moderator says, all those in favor of so-and-so, please raise your hand. And they raise their virtual hands using Zoom Mm -hmm. and somebody writes down that number. Then um, those, are all, those hands are all lowered mm -hmm. by the moderator, perhaps. And then the next name is mentioned, and those people raise their hands, and somebody counts and provides that number. Correct? Mm -hmm. So... Um, I've participated in a lot of Zoom meetings and hands pop up and pop down so fast that it's almost impossible to track who, who has raised their hand or when people have stopped raising their hands. I don't know of a command within Zoom to freeze hands up or freeze hands down in any you way. Can, you can push them down. You oh, can you, push all the, hands. Yeah, you can yes. push all hands down. Yes, you if you're a moderator, lock, you can push all the hands lock down. hands in whatever position they are at a given moment. No, you can there's push no them down. Mechanism. So, right. So, but no, what, there, what we did no was ask like there either, right? Because the name is next to the yeah. hand. Yeah. So, so did I mean, you use sighted assistance to pull that part of it off? No, I can tell. I, I actually did. I can tell whose hand is up because I can go through as a moderator and I can, I, I can tell the hands that are, um, that are raised, which is important because if we have electronic voting too, I don't want to see, 
I don't want to see the name of somebody who filled in an electronic ballot with their hands up because that's going to give, that's going to give them two votes. Right. Um, what we did was I asked, or, or we had Will Burley actually officiate the election sure. three different times, you know, raise mm-hmm. your hand, keep your hand up. We gave a, a, an amount of silence so the hands wouldn't be shifting. And then I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put all the hands down. In fact, I said, put your hand down. And some people, for whatever reason, they don't know how to, how to, how to, um, how to do that. So there were times where I had to put hands all down. Hands you, down. Yep. I mean, you, you, you've got to make, but I think it's the same, even if you're sitting in a room and you have somebody sighted, I mean, you know, have someone's hand go halfway up sometimes, right? Yes. I mean, you count that yep. or not. You or know, somebody it's the same that. issue. Or, yeah. I have one more question, yeah. Leah. Um, how do you guarantee that everyone who is voting at a Zoom meeting is a member? Um, when we, in GDY, when we used to vote at convention, we had these lovely ladies, our Louisville ladies, and it was, they worked harder than anybody. They not only counted our votes, but they checked everybody's membership when they came in. But now, because we're voting electronically, um, we, we can verify membership electronically, and it's, it's a lot simpler. Is there a way mm-hmm. that you verify that only people who were members came to your meeting? Well, the meeting, first of all, that invitation this year only went to our, our BPI um, mailing list. Okay. And nobody on that mailing list is not a member. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, Penny, yeah, that's what we questions. did in, Calif- yeah. in California. We did the same thing. We, um, although we didn't use hand raising except for like resolutions where we knew that the vote would probably not be close, but we only sent only registered convention attendees who are also members could vote, and only those who registered for convention received the Zoom invitation. So, of course, you know, you can't guarantee that someone who wasn't uh, eligible to vote raised a hand, but at least you had a good chance of it. If somebody wants to try to crash the system, I mean, they'll they they'll do it. They'll do it yeah. if they yeah. really want to try it. They 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 will maybe find some way to do it. So, Penny, we didn't talk about the security that that GDUI uses for their election. How do you assure that that members only are voting and that kind of thing? We send a membership list to this company to vote now and vote now sends each member us their a specific code that's only for them and <clears throat> they send it on a postcard uh, for people who don't have computers and they send it via email for people who do and you get your code this year we didn't get the code until the actual day of election other years we've gotten it a couple days in advance but everybody has the, and that code excuse me, it's only good for this year. Next year, everyone will get a new code. So this is Jeff, and I just want to make one comment before we get here. I may be premature with that comment, but... Well, I don't think so. There's no perfect system, but as I think several of us realized pre-pandemic and as is now far more the case because of the pandemic we are going to have to give up some things, change our culture, and eventually adopt some kind of a remote voting system. I, don't, I know people, including some on this 
particular panel are, you know, not fans of remote voting, and others are. But ultimately, people are, uh, you know, conventions are going to become less and less in person, more and more virtual as the years go on. The, the tide is, is starting and it isn't going to go back. And, and we've had so many people that have felt disenfranchised for a number of years, and that number is now going to start growing. So it is my opinion that although it is going to greatly impact the way our elections are held when we ultimately design a system, that we're going to have to eventually um, accept the fact that remote voting must occur in ACP. Well, maybe so. Um, Jeff, tell us about California. So we didn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And we had a virtual convention permitted by our constitution. And so we wanted to make sure that we held elections. So we did. We adopted a system whereby, as I said a minute ago, we kept a list of all those who were eligible members and registered for the convention. And if you met those two criteria, you could vote. You then got the Zoom invitation for convention, but even if you didn't go on Zoom, you, we gave out the phone numbers. You, we had two phone numbers and we probably should have had more we had you could either call or text in your vote uh to we had staff that worked on tabulating the votes they checked off the list um and of course that doesn't mean that someone couldn't have committed fraud by using someone else's phone number it's possible um especially if they did a text but we don't know of any that happened you know we had probably about 100 voters. Um, it, we did it in alphabetical um, bunches so that we didn't have too many calls or texts happening at one time. The first vote took a lot longer than the second vote. <laughs> first vote um, took a long time, Jeff. I was listening. <laughs> it did. It did. And, and it was pretty, it was clunky. Um, and I think it took took staff some time to understand exactly how to, you know, get people off the phone and deal with it. It took people to recognize that they needed to get it done and over with. And, and it, it you know, the system didn't work perfectly in terms of the time that it took, but it did get the job done. And we were able to, you know, perform an election where everybody who was eligible to vote had a chance to do so. And, and that was and the bottom folks line. Run, could folks run from the floor? Oh, yes, uh, because um, we had, you know, fully open elections and we announced obviously the candidates. So whoever was a candidate um, from the floor, you were able to call in text, call or text in for them just as easily as you were uh, the person from the nominating committee. In fact, Very the good. nominating committee just had one slate of individuals. So 
whoever else was going to be from the floor, just like in an ACB election. Um, and it's a workable system. It's not a perfect system. Um, you know, ACB, for example, where you sometimes have, you know, three or 400 voters, depending upon how late in the convention you are, you know, it would be more, far more difficult. You'd have to have a lot more numbers and more volunteers to count the texts and phone calls and everything. But it is a system that, that, you know, did work for us. Lee, I forgot to ask you what, what proportion of your voters were electronic and what proportion were, were live? Uh, we had a pretty good um, proportion of electronic votes. I think I have to guesstimate here. I think we probably That's got fine. about 25 electronic votes. And then we maybe had at the business meeting 20 to 30 people, maybe. It was pretty even, actually. Very good. So, so maybe 50% each. I would and, say. And by the time you were done you probably accounted for about half your members. Um, uh, maybe about, I would say just a little bit less than half because I think Very we have good. about 110 to 115 right now. I would say yep. just under half, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Um, so panelists, are we ready to open this up? Sure. Let's, give it a Let's do it, Mr. Rick. Yeah, hi guys. Let's see who we've got here. You didn't give me a pre-warning there, Paul. <laughs> I did not. No. Ready, aim. Ready, fire, aim. Yeah, you woke me up. 5025. 5025. If you want to unmute yourself. 5025. I'm going to go on to the next one here. Terry Pacheco, unmute yourself, Terry, and you Hello, the floor. this is Maria from New York. Hi, Maria. Hey, uh, just a couple of things. Um, when Penny mentioned that Vote Now is charging us now roughly five bucks a member, um, that's because we have a smaller membership. I don't know what the uh, membership of ACB in its entirety is, but it would be much lower per member um, with the larger membership base. Um, Interesting. One of now, the could, other, yeah. Would you guys have as many votes as you wanted with with them, once once they charge you per member? Well, on our ballot, you know, we have um, the board positions and whatever, and any bylaws. Right. Uh, and, and you could, so you could have eight or ten or twelve or fourteen or fifteen different choices that people had to make. For, for, for the $5 that you're paying for that person. Yes, yes. 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 And like yes. some years, there are a lot more board seats that are up or more bylaws. And in fact, when we um, totally uh, amended our bylaws to be in compliance, we were the first affiliate to be in right. uh, compliance with the DC code. That was done via vote now. Um, it, the, yeah. Um, I was just going to add to what you said, Maria. It seems to me, if I remember correctly, that at the time we were proposing a system which we were going to pilot and it wouldn't cost us anything, I think the vote, uh, the, the dollar per vote for CC for ACB, sorry, was going to be about $3 a person if we had adopted it. So 
And I have to say, just the in the privacy and security of the system is amazing. Uh, before that, our system for years, uh, each GDI member had an ID number that didn't change, and there were some people on the board that knew that number, and there was one board oh, person who abused it. Um, also subscribed us all to uh, soliciting uh, the solicitations on his mailing list, but um, and played games uh, with some votes. So um, you know we feel that it's worth it. Um, the balance for voting uh, for several years was roughly 50% telephonic and 50% electronic. This year it changed a little bit and I can't remember which way it changed but our percentage Penny? more people more people voted electronically this year okay for the first time. and uh, yeah and the percentage that Penny mentioned 44% uh, this year I think the last four elections it's been like 43 44% so the amazing thing is that that's really um, including our membership for ACB elections I you know I, I don't mean to be disrespectful but when people were saying that 90% or 95% of the membership thinks you know some of these changes were great how where do you get that number because most people don't vote um, most of the members on in ACB elections and yeah. they don't I, go know, to I, convention I, I, yeah I think what we were saying, Maria, and, 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 and you're right to raise the issue, but I think what we were saying is, is 90, 95 or 99 percent of folks who were present and voting thought the change to having a secret ballot was a good one. Okay, but, but this, you, you, know, clearly, you know, electronic voting. Right. I mean, you know, those people who don't come to convention and, and who don't get to participate in, in our elections um, wouldn't have the same opinion. You're absolutely right. And yep. I have two other things. One, I'd love to see what the survey was this year, um, the results for people about convention, because I thought it was phenomenal and included so many people that were never included before. And that would be the same with voting. And I have to say, I was just looking at the DC code because I think ACB is incorporated in DC also. We are. Um, you are. Um, yeah. This was very interesting. Um, it has to do with uh, annual and regular meetings. It's section 29-405.01e, and it says, um, notwithstanding the Articles of Incorporation or bylaws, during a period for which a public health emergency. <clears throat> has been declared pursuant to section blah, blah, blah. Um, where does that end? An annual or regular um, meeting of members does not need to be held at a geographic location if the meeting is held by means of the internet or uh, any other electronic communications technology in a fashion, blah, blah, blah. And um, elections are considered meetings. Interesting. Um, 
So, the, so Maria, you could have had elections this year. In, interesting. Maria, thank you so much for your call. You see why okay. Maria is our constitutional and bylaws chairperson and our first vice president and an excellent member. <laughs> and, 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 and also is much more on top of the DC code than I was because I thought we were, re were precluded from all of those things. And I suspect Jeff did too. And no, I actually, this I next actually, year you've been. Yeah. I actually had a different um, understanding is my understanding that we could do it by the internet or other. Oops. Oh, did we lose Jeff? In, yeah, I think we did. Lost him in oh. mid, mid sentence. Oh, mid stride. Um, so, um, Mr. Rick. Yeah, Terry Pacheco, please. Terry. Good evening. Hi. Just making sure my mic was on. Good evening. I have a few things I want to point out. Um, back in some of the early, early discussions, um, first of all, I think that it's, I personally think that it's very sad if Bay State Council is only polling the people at the convention. That's exactly the, seems to me that's exactly the reverse of the, um, of of the, the point of having an affiliate vote. The affiliate vote should, to me, should also represent the people back home. And I also firmly believe, and I know for fact, that the original constitutions of both the Blind Leadership Club and the Bay State Council of the Blind were never intended to do that. So I think that's kind of sad, and I think I hope that no other affiliate would do that. Secondly, I want to tell Florida you... Florida does. <laughs> Secondly, um, just as a and point I'll, of view, and I'll talk about the, what we do when you're done, Terry, because it's an interesting approach. Okay, sounds good. Um, the uh, next point that I want to bring, I just just as an interesting point, I pulled up one of the old convention votes, and just as a point of information to people, the special interest affiliate vote is approximately one quarter of the state affiliate of, uh, vote. Um, third, um, security, I think, is a huge, huge problem with remote voting. Um, I've, you know, I've seen it happening. I've seen and heard first, firsthand where people were um, being, were being, well, I guess I'm getting into something else kind of there, but all of the things that were referred to back in the 01, uh, in the 01 election. Right. There was, there was just so much that went on with that. And unfortunately, that went on beyond 01. It went on in 03. It did. That I know of. of it course went on it in did. 05. I know it of did. a, I, it did. It's, it's not, and, and probably beyond that. Um, and I'm going to tell you something right outright um, for people to, for, for those of you who are listening. I am the one who originally brought the issue up about the staff because, and I'm going to tell you why, because a member of the board of directors used to come into the office, would stand in people's doors because he had some vision and listen to conversations, work on getting rumors started. And he actually approached me twice. Once was to tell me that, uh, that 
it would be very duly noted by him and his friends would find out from him exactly who I voted for and who any other member of the staff voted for. That's absolutely, it was horrific. And that's when I brought it to the rest of the staff that we needed to do something about either a secret vote or us choosing not to vote whatsoever. And we did, we held a staff meeting at a convention and we all just had to make up our own minds on what we were gonna do. And that and was- we all wanted to vote. We did want to vote. <laughs> we, we did, I, actually, I voted sometimes and sometimes I didn't. Um, but that kind of, that, that's what was, the kind of thing that was taking place. And unfortunately, you know, I listened to the call, the call the other night with different, with different groups. Um, Excuse me, Artists' membership call. Yes, you are. You're at me. Okay, thanks. Sorry. Um, with Artists' membership call the other night, and I, it, it was something that really struck me in that is that the people coming up behind us, the next generation, and that if they don't learn from our history, then they're going to make the same mistakes. And I think it's very important, anyone that's deciding how we're going to do our voting in the future, and that has to look at what's happened in the past. GDUI security was, was, was compromised. Their system was hacked at one point by someone who was hired by ACB to be a, what do I want to call them? An a officer of the court. A parliamentarian. Yeah, it was a parliamentarian. Yeah, he was the yeah. parliamentarian that who hacked into their into their security. I think security is very important. I think people in a large affiliate are going to call their office or whatever, or call their president and say, "Who should I vote for?" You know that kind of thing. Or 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 in, if we had history repeat itself, they could be saying to people, "If you if it, you're not comfortable doing it, I'll do it for you. Just give me your." passcode or what have you. It's those are things that have happened and we know they've happened in the past and we need to safeguard against those things happening. Another thing that I think is very important uh, that I think may be a solution. You got 30 seconds, this, Okay, to a lot of this is, um, I think maybe we need to change our whole voting process and it would make it so much easier if we did something particularly for the, on the, uh, on the, um, when the, uh, for the board of directors election, that should, I think it should be the top five vote getters. It's five people, generally five people who are elected each year. And to me, I think that would be a much more sensible way of doing our election. So one election and, and top I five think, win. Yeah, the top five yeah. win. Um, I th and we could do, and we could do, if we're gonna do remote voting, we could do it during the week and, and do the, um, nominations from the floor on Monday night instead of Thursday or Friday morning. And so that people have a chance to do that. And so that those people have to deal the, do the uh, forum or do the, the caucuses. And I will meeting. shut up and get yeah. out of the way, I promise. Thank you, Terry. Um, panelists have any comments on Terry's comments? I, I need to step in. Um, Terry is a very a beloved person here in Massachusetts, having lived here, having been associated with the formation of our affiliate. Uh, and, and yet she comes down on me like a load of, no, that's okay. Uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, we in Bay State Council at the convention take our, what our rules are going to be, if you will, what do they call them? The floor rules. Yeah. Um, 
based on those Whatever. present. And yeah. that is not something that we're enamored of. As I said, it's not in our constitution, but we're also very concerned about our constitution. Um, Jeff, your state constitution allows remote voting, yes? Now, yes. what would you have done had this pandemic showed up and your constitution didn't allow remote voting? We are just the same exact thing as ACB did. Our officers would have had exactly. to hold over. And so that's what we did here in Massachusetts. We decided that we really can't hold elections remotely. But did that mean that we said, okay, we're done with that question? No. We went in and established a committee to work out a method by which we can do remote voting. Because we do see that that is whether we like it or not, it's not a matter of like or dislike. It's a matter of reality. And it's also a matter of the times they are a changing. Just in general, this pandemic has forced it to be sooner rather than later, but it nonetheless does exist. And, and can I uh, step in just for one second and say that uh, sure. I will admit that GDY, we changed our constitution the year after we, we decided to do it. And, and there was a, a a very vocal group within the organization, which said there that was. we had to change it, and we needed to, and we did. So um, we would we would recommend to ACB that you change your constitution ahead of time before <laughs> you do it. Right. Yeah. So can so I go Brian, back to Maria's to, comment briefly because I was trying to you, say something. You made Jeff. Got, yeah. Okay. So very quickly, I don't think the problem was that the DC code doesn't allow for those type of meetings. I think that from what I understood the code to read and um, from what I understood from others, the code requires that the organization require that those platforms or allow, excuse me, allow those platforms to be used. And since ACB's constitution does not, it was interpreted that we could not do so. Fair enough. So Brian, I wanna make you feel better um, in, in Florida, um, probably for the last six or eight years, um, at the ACV convention, um, the standing vote is a secret ballot, but we also try to make our affiliate vote a secret ballot. So we collect four different kinds of coins and whenever a vote is being taken, um, we will pass these coins around, count the coins, and then divide our votes up um, proportionately. Um, we feel that, that this is pretty effective. Now, obviously, if, if, if I receive calls, if I'm president, or, or and, I'm, and I'm sure it would be true of Dan Spoon as well, were he to receive a call as president from somebody who's not there, um, who wanted to have his vote counted, we would probably have to go around the group to see whether it would be counted. But traditionally, it's those present and voting who divide the 25 votes that Florida has among themselves. And, and, and there certainly is no conscious effort um, to reach out to folks beyond the convention to vote. But there is a conscious effort to ensure that, that there is a, a secret ballot even for the affiliate vote. So now, see, I did it differently. Um, when I was delegate, I would uh, certainly 
use any calls that I received, and I know other CCB presidents have done the same. And I also, on occasion, if I knew that a candidate had a fair amount of support within California, but there was very little support in the delegation, I, would, I wouldn't count those who weren't there with the, to the same degree, but I would certainly give a vote or two yeah. Um, because I wanted to reflect that the support that I knew existed in my state. I think that's fair. But, but it, 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 I mean, regardless of, of what we do, um, I think we would all agree that it's an imperfect system. The whole Absolutely. affiliate vote system is imperfect. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, Mr. Rick. I just have a question that I've got to ask, Paul. Go ahead. And, you know, you guys are probably going to come cascading down on me as asking the dumbest question that's ever been asked. But I've never heard this discussed in the context of ACB. And that is, have we ever considered a mail, snail mail vote like we're all having to do with COVID? It depends on the postmaster, Rick. Didn't you know that? <laughs> No, I, I, you know, I, I, I know one, no, of the big one of the big complaints about, you know, snail mail is, is it's not accessible, but certainly if blind people were designing a, well, yeah, a, we could, we mail, could, we could send out braille copies. I mean, there'd, there'd yeah. be, there'd be nothing to preclude us doing that. Jeff, as a, as, as a former head of the voting rights task force, what do you think of a snail mail approach? You know, I, I, I suppose there are ways it could work. I mean, there are ways of having ballots that you could mark. You know, you wouldn't, obviously, you'd have to have different types of formats because some people have, you know, some people have some vision and can use that vision. Um, some people can't use the vision they have really all that well. And so low vision ballots won't work. Large print ballots won't work for them. They certainly can't use all use Braille, even if they, um, you know, have been blind for a while in some cases. Yeah. So, no, Jeff, it, I, you it, know, it would, yeah, it I think people, a lot of problems. Yeah. People could pre-register, right. And, and say what format yeah. they want the stuff in. Yes. You'd have to send the ballot out and the only ballots you would count would be the ones that come back in that were legitimate ballots that got sent out in the first place. So the, so, so the likelihood for fraud, it would seem to me, would get, would get cut way back uh, right. unless somebody's intercepting somebody's mail. So anyway, it's just, just, just so something that, um, I'm, you know, it, it, what made me think about that is I went to Robert's Rules, okay? And, and Robert's Rules is very specific about mail voting being a legitimate method right. to do voting. It is. So. So here is the big issue, Mr. Rick. For officers, um, I, I, I think a mail ballot would probably work. Certainly with, within the last 10 or 15 years, it would because there's been very little competition for most of the positions. But when you get to board members, we are in an entirely different place. And the truth is, that, and, and, and Jeff, Brian, Penny, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I don't think there's been a time in the last 10 years when we knew before we got to the convention 
who, what board members were running. And I don't think there's been a single convention where uh, at least one board member didn't decide to run during the convention. So I'm not necessarily promoting this, but there are organizations out there that have a hybrid system where when they go to their conference, they narrow their selections down to two. And then they have a remote voting where everybody can vote between the final two selections. Yeah. The, the, the difficulty, at least from my perspective, uh, is we're going to have to figure out a way to get people to agree to run much sooner than they currently do. If, if any of these remote yeah. systems are going to work. You know, the other thing we haven't really talked about, or very much, is, is the difference in the way uh, caucuses have gone. I mean, I think that has changed a lot of things in ACB too. Now that we all do caucuses way in advance, uh, and the candidates don't have to kill themselves running around from state to state. Um, I think that is actually a good thing and, and is, uh, you know, it, it's sure. in favor of, but, of remote voting. But, but, it, but, but in years where there are board elections or where there are primary board elections, the only people who come to those caucuses um, tend to be people who are running for a second term. We have no idea who's going to run for the vacant positions. And they never come to those caucuses. Huh. One of well, the we things. We have the candidates' pages, though. Right. Don't. So we we do we within ACB. But we within ACB. Yeah. We within ACB have done several things to try to improve that situation. Right. One, we do the candidates forum. Two, this year especially, but began be last year, the whole idea of the virtual caucus through conference calls, right. that kind of thing. Right. It's a growing way. And let me tell you, as a many-time candidate, mm. I breathed a sigh of relief yeah. on how much time I was going me to too, have to invest too. dashing me through too. hallways I was unfamiliar with in order to hopefully get to the next caucus uh, before they closed. Right. So I think that it's been good all around. And I think it yeah. also yes. opens up this possibility to take a poll of your home affiliate as a delegate, right. give everybody a chance to weigh in prior to you going uh, to the right, convention right. and casting right. your affiliate vote. I, it's an I, improvement I would agree with that. all around. And, 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 the, and the town hall meeting, at least in theory, gives people who have decided to run during the convention an opportunity to be heard um, before the election. Um, which, which doesn't deal with those people who choose to run from the floor, and God knows there have been too many of those lately. Um, but, yeah. The, the um, fact that we're taking a look at the resolutions process is another chink in the, in the area of changing our culture yeah. that will eventually right. lead to something new. I don't know what it'll lead to years down the road, but it, it's one more area of change that we're considering. Mm -hmm. Mr. Rick. Yeah, Deanna Noriega, please. Ta -da. I'm here. Hi. Um, Hi. When I was still living in Colorado, we completely changed our constitution at one point. I don't know what the system is now because I've been away for, for since 20, uh, 2006 is when I left Colorado. But at that time, 
I was on the board and I was chosen chair of the board. The way we did it was we knew we had to have so many officers and directors and you ran for the board and everybody was sent a, a ballot envelope with a card in it in braille and print that had the list of the names of people who were willing to serve on the board. And you picked out who you thought would make good officers for the organization. You put that number back in the envelope, only the number of the open positions. So you had all of the candidates, but you picked out the ones that um, you wanted for the open positions. You bailed it back and it was counted um, by a team that checked each other. And of course that were not involved in the, um, the, the uh, election otherwise. Right. And then the board met and we voted on who would be the officers as right. board, because that way, what we were concerned about was we were reaching a point where a lot of our affiliates were older and small and we were widely yep. scattered. We had a, large populations in Colorado Springs and in Denver, but not so much Grand Junction, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So um, by doing it that way, we, could, we felt we could be confident that the officers we chose were chosen because of their skill sets rather than their popularity. So we would sit down and talk about, okay, what financial background does everyone have? What, you know, what's your skill set? And we would honestly talk it over and then we would choose. So I was um, the chair at the time I, I moved out of state, but I resigned huh. and they had to, you know, fill my There's vacancy. Ten. Yeah. Yep. But, and there was, but you, and our treasurer was also leaving the state at about, right. oh, six months difference because he was moving to Montana. And, but, but, um, but you guys had a very strange system there, really. Because, we did. We did. Because the, the board of directors had all the power in Colorado. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. as far as what positions they served, but we were elected by our membership and everybody voted whether they went to a convention or not. Gotcha. Excellent. So Deanna, thank you. That's how we figured out how to do it by mail. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Mr. Just Rick? one, just one oh, more. Go ahead. Uh, yep. Comment for me. You know this whole concept of affiliate vote. Um, if we are to continue with it, I submit that we need transparency in terms of how those affiliate votes are determined. Um, I, I, I think we're, you know, we trust the delegation who's at convention to to come up with the right number of votes. And quite frankly, I've, you know, I, I'm not sure that it's necessarily representative all the time of of the input that they that they've received so right that there was a period when there was a period when particularly special interest affiliates were um were, were really suspected and and there were some big special interest affiliates in those days i mean cclvi and brl and um and rsva were all um, 25 vote organizations at that point. Um, yeah, and so, I, guarantee, I yeah. guarantee you the way RSVA determines their vote is one person's opinion. Uh, yeah. So um, strike me down dead. I, 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 don't, I don't think they're alone. 
I mean, no, they're not. No, no, I and they weren't that, then either. Right, right. They so, weren't so, then so, either. So that really, you know, if you start talking about just the um, legitimacy of the vote, um, you know, it, it, I mean, I'm not a fan of the affiliate vote. I, I'd much rather we move. See, you know, part of the problem here is you know, if we want to change the culture, we can't change everything all at once, right? Right. But we got we got to decide where we start changing, and you know if we start approximating the one person one vote model, uh, and maybe not be so reliant on the uh, elect you know the, the electoral college or whatever, which is essentially or the affiliate vote, yeah, yeah. Then then um, you know it, we would progress down a down a different path. So um, you know, and and the one person there, one we're, vote would probably be more inclined yeah. to to want us to get more representation. Um, you know, throughout the, the whole organization um, the, to, to make that more representative. So, so so let me ask Brian and Jeff. Brian and Jeff, do you think affiliates would sit still for doing away with affiliate votes? <laughs> I think ours would. state. I think we would. I think Bay State uh, would Brian? as well. I think Bay yeah. State would as well. And for that matter, although I'm not present Presently, uh, uh, the president of Lua, I know that Lua would feel the same way. The whole concept of, as I said early on, where I'm a member of six special interest affiliates, that adds up in terms of my ability. If I have my ability to express my opinion to my delegates of all of those special interest affiliates, I've got a lot more than one vote. You do. Yeah. In the game. And that's simply. Well, it flies in the face of one man, one vote. That's, that's clearly the case. Where yeah. I worry about this process is we got where we are now organically. We reacted to situations from our very founding till now based on some form of uh, uprising against something uh, primarily. So when we do this change, and Rick, you're absolutely right. You know, it's not like we can come up with the perfect solution and embed it in the Constitution as if this is a one-time alteration. It's going to have to take place over a fairly significant amount of time. But I think it's got to be done. I think it has to be done incrementally. And I think it has to be done in a way that values four principles, one man, one vote, secret ballot. I, again, I can't hold my organization to a different level of, of appropriateness than I do my government. And we say, right, it's got to be a private ballot that you can fill out independently and that you can verify that you've cast your vote the way you intend. And it has to be secure. Right. Well, again, it can't give up security for any of those three things. See, our system but, does all, meets all that criteria. It, but it fails in one area. Well, it fails, fails in two areas. One is it costs a lot of money. And even though when Jeff was talking about, oh, three or 400 votes, that's not, those are those who are present. ACB's bill. Oh, be it'd be $30,000. Yeah. It'd be, it, Don't you think we could get a grant for that? A grant Every year? allows you to pay for something once, maybe three times, but not if much you, more if than you, that. 
and 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 if and, and if in order to get that grant you have to make a commitment for the foreseeable future then then yeah, then it also you. creates yeah. a huge yep. indebtedness and I, i'm not against getting grants to get anything started go for it absolutely but you are putting a burden on future budgets when you take this on you just simply have to acknowledge that that's part of the game yeah, yeah and, GUI and it, took took responsibility. They raised their dues. Right, and, 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 and we I, lost I, members as a result. I think lost way, members at the beginning. Yeah, the way technology is moving, guys. You know, the platform the GDUI is using today may be a platform of choice, but that's going to change over time, and some of the economics of this might change too. So, True. so today's Absolutely. reality should not necessarily, you know, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Make, make things and, black and again, and the more white. entities do this thing, the more affordable I think it will become. Right? Well, and, 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 and I'm, also, I'm, I'm also wondering whether there isn't a, a telephonic and an electronic way of of using two-factor identification um, or or multi-factor authentication, I'll learn to speak um, uh, that that would create the kind of security we need and 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 could also be done where the cost is is much lower, especially uh, as uh, well. I I I just think there's some ways that it can be done, but it, I I don't think we can rush into it, and and I think uh, for me the most important thing is if we sterilize the way we choose candidates by creating everything that has to be done before the convention and, and, and create a situation where there really are no, where there are no fights, we've given up democracy for the sake of rectitude. And I'm not for that. Yeah. Well, the other thing, a couple of other things you got to keep in mind in all of this. Um, if we disenfranchise even one member by the mechanism or mechanisms we choose, uh, we're failing our membership. We are. So if an individual, if you can say only 1% of but, our members don't have an email address, then you have to have a means other than by email. But Brian, you're already, you're already disenfranchising. Oh, no, I'm not, no, no, I'm, I'm not talking about whether we do it or not. I'm saying we need to accept that as a must have. I knew you guys were. I knew you guys weren't going to like my, my mail thing. Uh, hey, you know, guys, I'm compiling the results of the survey, and I could pass a couple observations, of, you know, about that if you, you know, just sure. which are somewhat germane to this discussion. Um, you know, we we had um, over 1,600 people um, attend convention, which was two to three times more than what we typically have. Uh, we had two and a half times. 2.6 times the number of people completing the survey. And there's this huge outcry, huge outcry of people saying, finally, I was able to participate, you know, uh, at a national yep. level. So, so uh, you know, I mean, we've got some fertile ground here to explore some, some new areas. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I would hope that you know, I would hope that that we would. I, you know, part of my, uh, you know, this whole mail thing that I brought up, I'm not, I'm not hung up on this. But, you know, every technical solution you throw out there, there's going to be some pundit out there that's going to knock it down. Okay. Yep. And, and and I'll tell you, mail is probably inherently more secure if you think about it than 
a lot of other things. So, so anyways, yep. you know, the first thing you got to do is decide, yes, we want to do the one person, one vote thing and philosophically get on board with that and then start, you know, figuring out through, you know, through successive approximations, how, how we get there. So anyways. And again, I want to be clear because I think I might've been misunderstood. I do not believe that whatever system we put in has to be perfect. I believe we need to go to remote voting in some fashion. I also believe that it can't be a single shot solution. Right. There's too much diversity in our community for us to come up with the way to do something. Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I didn't, I didn't didn't mean to infer anything by what I said. So I want to make one comment to you though, Brian, and, and that is to suggest that, um, in general elections, we purposefully disenfranchise groups, whether we do it intentionally or not. And I would argue we've certainly done that with deafblind voters. Absolutely. No question um, about it. And, and, uh, and, and so, you know, I think, I think one of the things that one of the things that I am inclined to say, though it, will, though it will probably cause me never to be elected dog catcher again. Uh, I is, wasn't is voting I for think, you anyway. That's good. I don't think we could, I don't think we can design a system that A, will please everybody or, or, or that B, will enfranchise everybody. I, I think there are always going to be people who are going to be disenfranchised by whatever system we put together. And what I we, agree. what, what we have to do is matter. to devise a, yeah, we have to devise a system that 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 does the greatest good for the greatest number. To 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 Jeremy Bentham, the thing to death. Um, yeah, and I think, and, and and I think that's all we can be expected to do, and all we should be expected to do. I fundamentally yeah, disagree with that. I yeah. fundamentally disagree with it because if you allow yourself to think that less than 100% participation or the, again, we're talking about the opportunity to participate, not 100% participation, right. the opportunity to uh, be engaged in all of this process, then you've allowed yourself to stop. Oh, well, we only have 5%. And people are elected by 10%. So that's acceptable. It is not acceptable ever to disenfranchise somebody who took the time and effort to become a member of our affiliate, of well, our organization. I, I think, Joe, yeah. what, what Paul, is, how Paul is correct is that it is going to be more difficult under any system for some people than others. And all we can do is strive for a system that produces 100% enfranchisement. And if we don't reach it, I think that's okay. But if we keep that goal in mind and do the best we can, then I think we've done as much as we can hope to achieve for our membership. And, and that's what they expect. And, and a- anything you do will be better than probably what you already have. Right. Dan, Dan Spoon's here. So Dan, your mic is open. Mr. Spoon. Thank you, Rick. And thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This is a great, great, great conversation. And I'm, as our current president, I'm, I'm very, very worried about this. I'm worried that we had a virtual convention this time and did not get to have elections, you know, 
heaven forbid, but you know, this, we could be in the same position again next year. Right. And, and we're kind we of in could. a, and we're kind of in a catch 22. We need to have an, an annual business meeting in order to change the constitution to be able to vote without having an in-person meeting. Right. So, right. so that's one thing that really, really worries me. And I don't know if there's clever constitutionalists that can look beyond this, but it does worry me. We didn't get to vote for our board or our board of publications this last time. If we're into next year's election, we throw the officers into that. Now, basically everything except for five board members are, are their terms are being extended beyond their, you know, their, their term limit. And so, so that really worries me. I, Paul, um, I, I guess a couple of, points and I'd love you know some of you all uh, really do have much deeper history than than I do but one thing that we didn't talk about tonight is how the Florida Council of the Blind votes which is kind right. of unique in that it's a representative vote so the each chapter gets to vote for the number of individual votes they have in their chapter based on having delegates that represent their their chapter. So for each 10 votes, they get a delegate that then participates in the election. So uh, if the Greater Orlando Council of the Blind has 94 members, then they're entitled to 10 delegates, the full 10 for each of the 90 plus the partial delegate for the four. Those 10 then caucus at the, at the annual meeting and decide where their 94 votes are going to go. They could be split, they could be, you know, but, right. but that, and the other part of that, uh, Brian, which you were kind of talking about with your multiple special interest affiliates, because in the Florida Council of the Blind, we have five special interest affiliates. You have to declare a primary chapter, and that's recorded as when you when you do your registration each year, and your vote only goes with your primary chapter. And so, right, we have the same so, thing. The latter yeah. part, we have that too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah. but, but, yeah. In, but in effect, special interest affiliates in Florida are disenfranchised, and and frankly, in my view, most people in Florida are disenfranchised because. Even if you have a even if you have a relatively large chapter and that chapter is relatively poor, um, or 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 you're far away from where they are when you're holding a convention, the reality is those folks never have enough delegates to fill they, out they, the number they, of votes, they, and they, they therefore may not can't have, vote. Right, which is kind of an interesting thing. But but the but the the part that I've observed just this just from the data walk part of right. me is right. when we look at our ACB vote um, it maybe it's just the the nuance of, of of how the affiliates you know determine their vote versus this the individual uh, secret ballot vote right. but the percentages of the individual vote and the affiliate vote do not differ by more than one percent no, maybe they two. They're they're almost identical, yeah. uh, uh, and so 
what is interesting to me, and, and gosh, this is probably total blasphemy, but I just throw it out there for discussion, is what, what I saw California very easily do was take a chapter roll call vote. That, that took, the first time it took a half hour, once they kind of got the, through the phones and getting those opened, I think, Jeff, it took less than 10 minutes. So, oh, yeah. so that was interesting on the ability that everybody kind of got represented in, in that, that chapter roll call vote happened very quickly. The other question I had for Penny is, do you do your votes in GDUI on a plurality basis? So what if four people run for president? Do you then take the one that gets the highest percentage or do you have a runoff that gets you to a majority vote? Um, we could have run off between the top two. We, I don't believe we ever have, but we can. So, so is the way your constitution written, if you have three or four candidates, then do you do a second? If we have three or four candidates, then, um, and, and um, then we don't do a second. We, we, uh, we would have to do a second if that's what happened, but we, it's never happened to us. But okay, but, but but if nobody gets a plurality, your constitution would so say would you, you would need to do a second yeah. vote. Would you have to? Would you have to hire that company for a second time to handle that election? I don't know. We probably would. I don't know. Because I think that's interesting. I, we're you know, at least in Florida, I don't know if it's happening in a lot of other states now. But if you look at the actual election for for primary elections now we no longer have runoff. So, so candidates get elected right. at the primary level uh, on a plurality basis, not on a majority right. level. But again, in our constitution, it's a majority level. And so, and then, and then Penny, you do your bylaws there too, but then you we don't do. allow, you don't allow any, um, how do you handle resolutions? How, how so do you handle do. those things that require amendments and that type of thing? So amendments, we, we do the constitutional amendments the way, uh, we vote for officers and board members. Uh -huh. And if we have resolutions within GDY, we handle that at the board level. And like I said, every member can come to the board meeting. And, right. um, but only board members can vote. Um, and what was your other question? Um, and, and then they, but, but then oh, resolutions and if there's an ACB would, would essentially resolution? go through the ACB process. Yeah. So if there's an ACB resolution, then there is a contingent of us at convention, and we do caucus to figure out how GDY should vote on the ACB resolution. Right. Because what's interesting to me, kind of what Paul was talking about earlier, you know, we have a lot of debate and a lot of discussion and a lot of, especially to resolutions, a lot of amendments we and do. this type of thing. And it seems like at least that part of voting inside of ACB would be very difficult to do. Yeah, I'm not um, sure how you could do it. Re remotely. I, I, some of the others where you could do candidates, like Terry said, and you make an announcement at the beginning of the mm -hmm. convention and the votes held at the end. There's some thoughts there that then, you know, again, somebody couldn't be nominated at the last second, but it at least um, allows for nominations from the floor. I, I don't know. It's, we're, well, we're very, we're very complex in, in, in the way we do things right now. And it's, it doesn't lend itself to voting. Uh, a, lo a, lot of organizations, a lot of organizations don't even allow for amendment, uh, amendment of resolutions and that type of thing. It's just an up or down vote. And, and a lot of people have gone that way with bylaws now that boom, right. that's it. You vote. Yeah. They're red and you vote. Well, and, 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 
there is an organization of the blind, I don't know if they still do it, but um, New Zealand's organization of the blind actually um, wrote resolutions or, or received resolutions and sent them around to all of their chapters um, and their chapters voted on them. And by the time they came back to the convention, uh, a, they couldn't be amended, but, and, and, and B, they were, they were either adopted or not adopted um, based, based on, on the way that the resolutions package had gone around the country. Mm -hmm. so, so timing is part of this, you know, I, I think. Sure. Yeah. You know, and maybe down the road, once, uh, once the, the resolutions group is further along and making decisions about some of the directions they're looking at, we can invite some of them to come on Tuesday topics and we'll talk about the whole resolutions process and it'd be fun. Mm -hmm. But this is a really good discussion and it, I'm really, for a, for a pure democratic organization, this, this really worries me. So we need to, we need to figure it out. Yeah. So, and I thought the provision that Maria found in the code was pretty interesting. Um, so I think we should, you know, look at that a little more in depth. I think, yeah, too. And, and I think I, so too. Yeah, and I, I wanted to, you know, one of the things I'm going to ask for as a, as the president is, is again, another ad hoc committee. We, we asked the Constitution and bylaws to look at this before last year's convention. Of course, it was in a three-month period, right? But is there, is there a way to, to get past this catch-22? Because it, it's kind of... It's, it, I, I, th I think Maria certainly thinks there is. Yeah. Catch-22 is a serious, serious issue. Probably the biggest one for us to deal with. As I understood the reading, and I'm, please, please, uh, can she please send out a clip of that section right. for us to look well, I'm sure at more closely. Be happy to do that. I, yeah. I'd really love to do that. I, in, I, I don't mean to interpret it. I thought I heard you may do this. Right. And I thought I also heard at the very beginning, in case of a major emergency, uh, health emergency. Or something equivalent right. to that. Yeah. And so, and, and you so the trouble is we may not be there it. next year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, you very well may not be there next year, but you all, it leaves, even that leaves this whole issue of how soon do we have to commit to a face-to-face -face convention mm -hmm. for sake of the right. hotels and other contracts that we're required mm -hmm. to sign? It was yep. a huge issue for ACB Absolutely. this year mm -hmm. to deal yep. with that when there was no question mm -hmm. but that we were in the middle of a pandemic. And the Constitution needs an equivalent of a force majeure clause? Mm -hmm. Exactly. No. Mm -hmm. it, does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it does, but how do you how do you alter the constitution without meeting in an annual meeting as exactly. described right know. now to modify it? No, I, 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 well, I don't, I don't think you can. You certainly can't amend the constitution. Yeah. Terry's been raising her hand wanting to talk again. So Terry uh, Pacheco. Do, do we have somebody who hasn't? It's Paul, I swear it's just a real quick one. Yeah. I really, I just want to publicly apologize to Brian. It was my misunderstanding of what he said, apparently. I thought he had meant in years gone by, they had changed to that, not this year for the pandemic. And so I do apologize, Brian. Um, I never meant to, to say anything negative about Bay State Council or you. 
I just wanted to apologize for that. And the only other thing I want to add in is don't forget that there are people who are members of special interest affiliates who are not members of state affiliates. Most and certainly. You yeah. don't want to disenfranchise them. Sure. And now I, I promise that's true. I'm gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have anybody else? Mr. Yeah, Rich? the only other person with a hand raised is Kathy Lyons. And I've been trying to get Kathy to unmute herself. Kathy? Am I unmuted now? There you, you go. Are. There you go. Right. Okay, I wanted to congratulate GDUI on extending the vote to every single member. And I wanted to also make a comment about the last ballot that we had. Um, there was only one person for each position, and you could vote for that person, or if, if there was somebody on that slate that you didn't want, the only choice you had was to abstain, and there was no way for you to vote for somebody other than the person that, that was on the slate. And, That's true. Um, yeah. So, and and that, was, that was unfortunate that we only had, you know, one, I mean, but ACB has faced that in the past, too. I've been at conventions where people are begging someone to run from the floor for a board position. Oh, I, I, think, I think we face it more often than not these days. Yeah. Because we're all um, I mean, getting I, older, I, and yeah. Well, I, 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 and, and truthfully, truthfully, the, the reality for ACB uh, is, is that you have to be fairly wealthy to run for the board. Because you have to pay to get there. That's right. You yeah. do. Um, but, I, but I think your point is well taken. Um, and, and thank you for raising it. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. I, I appreciate it. And we knew it was a problem, but we couldn't solve it because we only had a certain number of people who were willing to run. Which is too bad. And, and I think, I, you know, I think that's the reality at the moment with ACB as well. People are not willing to run. Even if they can afford it, they're not willing to run. I wonder why that is. Hmm. Okay, so, so Kathy, we know you're running next year. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a, a guess as to why people aren't running for office. And that sure. is very similar to this week I've received 20 different financial appeals from 20 different entities, all of whom I'd love to give money to. Yeah, and keep I keep unsubscribing from those lists I and they can't. keep finding me anyway. <laughs> it's heartbreaking when I throw away these things yeah. because I simply can't be there for all of them. So when you are trying to decide whether or not you're going to invest your time and energy into being on the board of ACB or of any organization, you have to say to yourself, and because I'm doing that, what will I not be able to do? That's true. You've got to decide what's on your A-list and not beat yourself about the head and shoulders that you aren't there for everybody all the time. It just can't be physically done. Parents have found this out a lot, haven't they, Penny? Yeah. You have to decide. You have You've got all these that. kids and they need needs and you have to balance them and you what's do. on the A-list and what's not on the A-list. If it's on the B-list, God help you. I don't have the time to do it. That's exactly right. So I think we have more and more people more socially engaged. And you know, it's one of those things, be careful what you wish for, you might get it. Blind yeah. people are much more engaged in their community today than they were at the founding of this organization. I, Thank I, goodness I'm, that's the case. I, you, you I'm disagree, not Paul? sure I agree with that. Oh, I, 
I'd be interested I, I in didn't. others' opinions. Yeah, I agree. I uh, agree with I, which. I mean, there's still a lot of the the blind culture and people getting together as blind people and all that, but they they are more engaged today than they. Look used at to. all the people that we're talking about going to their senior citizen programs in their county or community on Terry's call last week. I I agree. I think people are are much more, um, are engaged much in many more diverse activities than just flying as activities. That, 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 that may be, and I, and, and, and I may be just, just, um, um, uh, if you're sitting next to your time. swimming pool, Paul, probably <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not at the moment. I'm inside because it's quieter in here. Um, so, um, Rick, do we have any more hands? No, that's it, Paul. We can make an appeal, but I we're getting close no, no. here to wrapping up. Um, so what I what I wanted to do with the group is, is to ask you guys and 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 Leah, you've been so quiet and so nice. Um, what do we think the future is? I I I guess we're all in agreement that some way or another we're going to have to come up with some kind of remote voting. After what we've talked about tonight, does anybody have any sense of what it might look like? Don't all speak. Well, I thought, the, I, I thought the idea of a step-by-step -step process does have some interest for me. Um, you know, maybe we just did it for, you know, officers, for the first year and and the board after that. And then I, I have no idea. I'm, this is totally a blue sky. But uh, if we think a little more out of the box, maybe we can make the cultural change a little easier to swallow over the next five years or so. But we've got to start really soon. We can't keep putting this off. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because I agree. Um, I, I would think, Mr. That, Brian. Yeah, I would think that um, ACB leadership, hi Dan, should be looking at, uh, if you will, the next round of the voting access uh, committee that Jeff was involved with, with a specific goal in mind that should not be a three-year goal, or excuse me, a one-year goal. It ought to be a multi-year goal, with a first step ready to rock and roll as soon as uh, we can legally implement it. But it should start by establishing some philosophical underpinnings of what that will look like. It cannot just be a mechanical decision, not can it be done, but is this the way that achieves what we're trying to achieve? The one person, one vote, fully accessible means of our membership to express themselves through the ballot box. Miss mm -hmm. Penny, any thoughts? Well, I think that, um, of course, we have to solve the constitutional issue first. Once we do that, I think the membership is going to be so excited about this that I think we'll find creative solutions and we'll get it done. Um, I Ms. think it'll, it'll make us so, so democratic and compared yeah. to uh, other organizations we're not mentioning. And I just think people will love it. Look how happy people were just to get to come to convention. I mean, 1,600 people is a lot. Miss mm -hmm. Leah, any thoughts? Uh, she's gone, Paul. Oh, very good. All right. So 
I think that we, we all agree that there need to be steps forward. Um, I think we all agree that there have to be safeguards built into the system um, that, that ensure we leave in, in enough capacity for flexibility and enough opportunity um, for decisions to be made at convention. Um, I, I personally would not be in favor of any system that in effect dis-electionized the convention. Um, I think it's one of the things we come together for. Um, and, and I would be very sad if, if we'd made all those decisions before we ever get there. Um, oh, people would stop coming, I think, then. I mean, that's, you're right. That's yeah. one of the reasons people come. Right, right. Um, and, 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 I, and I also think we need to seriously consider how we encourage more people to actually run for political office in ACB, whether it is an issue of money, whether we need to look for grants or some other approaches that would enable folks to be able to run, um, or, 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 or whether we need to ask affiliates to support folks who are minded to run from there um, if, if they have the money to do it. And, and, and some of our affiliates do, and, and some don't. Um, in, in, in leading up to this, one of the interesting proposals that I received was that um, it was inappropriate to have the state rules apply to the Board of Publications because the BOP is too small and we should scrap <laughs> those and they shouldn't operate. Oh, really? Um, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, one vote, one state kind of thing. Um, so that was that was the only email that I got that was interesting. So, um, thirty seconds, Jeff. Do you <clears throat> do you, do you want as the former chair of the task force to leave an email where folks can get in touch if they want to? Sure. J S as in Stephen T H O M at Comcast.net. Excellent. Uh, Brian, you want to play? Always interested in email. And I'm Brian Charlson, one word, B-R-I-A-N-C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N at Comcast.net. Miss Penny? Oh, I, I'm amazing. I'm Penny, P-E-N-N-Y dot reader or E-E-D-E-R at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, Paul, I really am so glad we did this. It was a really wonderful discussion. I think we we all learned a lot. We all have a lot to think about. And I really appreciate your bringing this to Tuesday Topics. Well, thank you very much. And I really uh, appreciate brilliant. you. I really appreciate you guys participating because you're what made the show good. You and Rick. <laughs> all right. So next and week, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to do the pandemic after six months. And it's gonna be an open discussion. So I need folks to turn up. Uh, I'll send out some questions in my announcement tomorrow, uh, but it's gonna be an open forum on, have we changed our views since this thing started? And how much worse or better is it six months on? I appreciate everybody being a part of Tuesday Topics this evening. And I'd like to particularly thank Rick for all the work that he does to make Tuesday Topics the show that it is. Rick, you're the best, my friend. For Ladies sure. and gentlemen, good night. Good night. Uh -huh.